Okay, here we go again. Take 89,427 for reasons that I don't understand because I'm not a techie. I'm not even very smart today. I couldn't get the microphone to work. I don't know if I've got it to work this time. But I did a test and it was working, so I'm going to assume it is. Now, this podcast is a direct result of a thunderstorm we had just before noon today. The cloud was right above us. The flash of lightning and the thunder less than a second apart, which means it's pretty close. It also means it's got because it was very strong, and that meant that it had a lot and lots of water in it. So I finally got my camera out during one of these episodes, and I took a picture of it, a movie, video. And it didn't quite show it as well as I hoped it would, but it's only a minute and a half long, and it certainly leaves one with the impression that it is truly pelting down a lot of water in a big hurry. And that got me thinking, always a dangerous thing, back to when we first came back to the Philippines. I was uh, going to be a lay minister in a local church, and Milady was going to work on her postgraduate and graduate degrees. Not in that order, of course. Now, it didn't really work out for me. I was getting older, and, and I, in my 50s, I didn't have as much toleration and Christian charity in my bones as I had in my 40s. So I uh, maybe I was burnt out, I don't know, but it didn't do well. Uh, there were just too many problems, and I wasn't willing to put up with the ridiculousness of um, organized religion at that point in my life. So she was out of town, she being the lady, a lot, going to school and what have you. And when she was home, well, she had work to do, and her time to write was at night. That's when her brain started to percolate. And that meant that uh, I needed to find something to occupy myself with. Now, we went walking out our into the backyard one night, and we looked up, and... We could see this little cotton ball puff of light almost directly above us. And we both wondered what it was. And being the type that likes to answer that type of silly question, I found out that it was um, M42, the Orion Nebula. And we could see it because we had a very dark yard. We had neighbors that didn't have lights, and nobody had even thought of a street light at that point. So we had a real dark sky, and it was often very clear and very brilliant. So 
we decided I'd start with a four and a half inch reflector. Very inexpensive piece of equipment. But it was certainly something that would show me whether or not I wanted to pursue this hobby. Now to get to the 4.5, we'd started with our eyeballs and then we'd moved to binoculars. And I really thought I did want to get involved in it. So it was not too big a gamble. As it turned out, I did want to get involved. Uh, the Messier 110 in the 4.5 and half of the Messier 400. And by that time, I was pushing the limits very hard on that little telescope. And I had, my uh, lady and I had started off and I said, oh, come see this, come and see this. And she'd come out and she'd go, oh, wow, wow, wow. Because it was really a bunch of, oh, wow, wow, that I was seeing. But then it got to the point that I had trained myself in the art of uh, astronomical scene. I, I could look through the telescope and see things. And I called her out and said, look at this. And she'd say, look at what? I don't see anything. Um, I had outpaced her. as She had outpaced me in doctoral and postgraduate work or, or for her degrees. In her expertise, I went a different route into astronomy. But to keep myself company, I moved up from a 4.5 to an 8-inch uh, light bridge, reflecting telescope on a Dobsonian mount. Beautiful telescope. And I, I got to see some incredible things. The, uh, the witch nebula for one, which had nebula, actually. You can actually see her uh, her broomstick and her hat and her face, uh, but it's very, very dim, and it's just in this uh, sort of white, gauzy stuff in the back of the sky. And it takes a certain skill to see it that I had developed over a couple of years of intensive looking. I was out four, five, six nights a week, whenever the cloud cover was not there. And it wasn't there very often. So I got to see a lot of brilliant, beautiful, incredible sights, which I'm ever so thankful for. But then it started to get cloudy and there was more moisture in the air and the clear nights were getting few and far between and the nights when they were had no overcast they were too that too much humidity uh, everything was shimmering and dim and ah eventually i just gave up on it and turned into a reasonable photographer <coughs> but it was exactly what the meteor meteorologist I've gone through this for hours now, and I'm beginning to slur my words, had said would happen uh, with global warming. The where we live was going to get more clouds, more moisture, more rain. Uh, California, Southwest America, higher temperatures and drought, and they've got it. The Antarctic and the Arctic ice shield packs and, and glaciers, they're going to melt at incredible rates and the low island nations in the South Pacific, the people are going to get wet feet. 
when they get out of bed. They, they said this was going to happen in the future. <clears throat> well, folks, the future is now because it's happening. I'm here to tell you that. I got to take a sip of tea. One prime example, and this one really, if you'll pardon the expression, struck home. In the first 20 or so years that we lived where we are now, we were on the Lee side of the island. When the typhoons came in, they'd hit the other side. The other side would get devastated, but we'd be okay. We'd lose power, but nothing would get knocked down or anything like that. And then earlier this year, or the end of last year, Super Typhoon Odette came in, and it came in on a different track. This time we were not on the lee side of the island. We are directly in its path. And it went up one side, down the other, and left a swath of destruction like I've never seen. <clears throat> we got off easy with just trees and stuff, but there were tsunamis that came in and wiped out whole villages. Landslides, total devastation of houses knocked down, power lines down, trees down. It took us more than 30 days to get our power back and even longer to get back on the web. I mean, it was devastating. Um, hundreds died. And right now in Somalia, there is a drought due to global warming. And this one is made even worse because of the war in the Ukraine. Uh, the, the, the grain that the Ukraine grows is not getting out. And that means that there's no aid relief for the starving people in uh, Somalia, in Africa. And there's going to be a lot of them with global warming, and they're not going to get a year or two of grain that they would have had because of that war. That's just a little aside. But we have really done it. Do you remember back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s? Scientists, and I'm not talking just your regular uh, Dr. Oz type of foolish idiot. <clears throat> or the type that said, oh, you got to take this bleach and inject it into your body and put a strobe light up your rectum and you'll get rid of COVID. I'm not talking that type. I'm talking the type that graduated in the top 25% of their class, say. These the people that know what they're talking about. They said that unless we did something, eventually glacier melt, ocean temperature change, weather pattern change, droughts in places that shouldn't have it, terrible rainstorms in other places, wildfires. Uh, do you know that New Delhi had a heat wave this year? I don't know if it's still going on, but it was... Uh, 49.9 degrees Celsius. Uh, and the human body starts to cook at 50. 
And that went on for weeks, at least. Maybe months. It may still be going on. Look it up on the web. But uh, all that stuff that the smart scientist said was going to happen is happening. It's now. It's real. And all we can do is adapt. We can't turn it off. We can't run away. We can only adapt. Now, it would help a great deal if we turned it off as well as adapted, but even if we turn it off, we just still got to adapt. You ever see a semi-trailer on an icy road try to stop in a hurry? It doesn't happen that way. <clears throat> or perhaps a train when it sees something up ahead on the track that is not supposed to be there, and it's doing 60, 70 miles an hour, and it's got 200 cars behind the engine, and the guy hammers the brakes, but five miles later, he's still coming to a stop. You can't turn some things off in a hurry, and you can't turn global warming off in a hurry. What's got to happen is that all the crap that's in the air has got to get washed out and be absorbed by the lungs of the earth, and that would be the tundra and the ocean. Trouble is, the ocean is now polluted, and the tundra has been dug up and as they try to find tar sand oil, the dirtiest carbon fuel in the world. And they destroy the lungs of the world to get it. Yeah, they wonder why it's getting ugly out there. But we can shut it down. We can turn it way down. We're never going to get totally green. All these generators and windmills and uh, power from the ocean current stuff, every single one of those machines is made uh, from plastic and steel carbon-based stuff and the, the trucks that bring it are made out of steel and run on diesel we don't get clean green we get cleaner greener but we don't get clean not until we can figure out how to get off the carbon and i don't think anybody's done that yet um uh, i don't think they can now, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I can see no way, but then I'm not a scientist. And the scientists, oh, excuse me, we'll lay on, but I've been at this a long time today. Uh, they may, The scientists may come up with a way to do it. I sure hope they do. Because if they don't, here's, a, here's a, a prediction. I dare say a prophecy. Although that sounds a little conceited. Let's just say it, it, it's an ironclad prediction. If we don't adapt and improve and we just adapt to getting worse, eventually the very rich are going to find a way to get off this planet. They're already starting to do it. The, the rich people are creating their own rocket ships and taking up tourists and their friends and getting into outer space and da-da-da-da-da. And they're paving the way for the rich people to get into any number of bad sci-fi movies, but it's, it's a basic reality that's going to happen.
lunar colonies. Uh, great big uh, space stations that are orbiting the Earth are going to be lived in by very rich people and their servants. And they'll have servants because they're very rich people. And the rest of the people, uh, that would be uh, me and thee, because we ain't the really rich, are going to be down here inheriting the earth. The meek, they might want to call us. And it's going to be hell on earth. Because we're going to supply the people up there with the stuff they need. And they're going to make sure we have just enough clean water, enough food, <coughs> and enough oxygen to stay alive. But we'll be their servants. We'll be their serfs and vassals, I suppose. And anyway, that's a prediction. Now, I've been at this for 17 minutes. My throat's dry and ticklish, and I'm going to call this a day. And this all started, remember, by my taking a movie of some serious rant. Now, you'll find that video on my blog. You can find it in your search engines. Uh, there is the name of it. My Folly, My Conceits. Uh, it's at wordpress.com. And if you go to https colon forward slash forward slash folly and conceits dot wordpress dot com, all lower case letters, <coughs> you'll find it. And I think there's even a link to it uh, somewhere on this uh, page uh, of my anchor. So here's the link or do it in your search engine by following my conceits. You'll know when it's there because it starts off taking a home page full of chapters, one through at this point 36, because this is chapter 36 I'm working on now. They're not very long, most of them. They're just sort of things to think about. Okay, anyway, eight and a half minutes, time to say goodbye. And I sure hope this works because I'm not doing it again. Bye-bye for now, folks.